Let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to go all the way back to verse number 1. We are looking at this illustration, this typology that the author of Hebrews is using about a high priesthood that is more significant than the Jewish high priesthood. And it is the high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, We already know that uh, the author uh, was concerned that some of his readers might not be up to the challenge of this illustration, because he said so. Uh, But their problem is that they've gotten a little uh, lazy in their, their study, and they were only still working on uh, mother's milk instead of being ready for some meat and potatoes. So I hope all of you are ready for some meat and potatoes. I also hope those of you that are not ready for that will at least keep this kind of on the back burner until you're ready to partake, if you will. So the story of Melchizedek comes from the book of Genesis, but... It also comes to us through one particular psalm. And so this is what the author says. Hebrews 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is the ancient city of Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, which is the oldest title of God that we see uh, used in the book of Genesis, God Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. Now, that is when he had rescued his nephew Lot and all the others who had been kidnapped. And he brought back not just the humans, but he brought back all the stuff that the invading Mesopotamian forces had taken away. Verse 2, To him... Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So of all of the stuff that had been recovered, Abraham gave 10% of it to God Most High through the priest Melchizedek at Jerusalem as a thank you to God for bringing him through this episode. Now comes the application, verse 2. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchi is king, and Zedek, righteousness. So king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace, because he is king of Shalom, Salam, uh, peace. So, Melchizedek is to be thought of as the king of righteousness, king of peace. Now, verse 3, this is the part that's meat and potatoes. He is without father or mother on the pages of the book of Genesis. There is nothing said about his birth or his death or his family. The first time we meet him, he is full-grown, priest of God Most High. 
the last time we meet him, he is full-grown priest of God Most High. So, as far as we can tell, that's what he's always been, and that's what he will always be. That's from the that's from the Jewish thinking process uh, that's being applied here. He's without father or mother or genealogy, so there's no genealogical list for him, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So that's the point. He's only right there on the pages of Genesis. No beginning, no end, no life, no beginning of life, no birth, no death, no family tree. He's just always priest of God Most High. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says this, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So he becomes the perfect illustration, the perfect symbol, the perfect type of the priestly ministry of Jesus. Verse number four. See how great this man was from whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, their fellow Israelis, though these also are descended from Abraham. Uh, So now he's going to develop the idea that the Levites descended from their namesake, Levi, who is in turn the son of Jacob, whose other name is Israel, uh, who in turn is descended from Isaac, who is descended ultimately from Abraham. So the Levites are descendants of Abraham, and yet all Israelis are required by the Mosaic law to pay tithes to the Levitical priesthood. Verse 6, But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them. So Melchizedek comes before the Levitical priesthood. He is a contemporaneous person with Abraham. And so this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham. So he was receiving tithes from the father of faith, the father of the Israeli people. And not just that. It says that he, meaning Melchizedek, blessed him, meaning uh, Abraham, who had the promises. And then comes this point. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So of these two characters in history, book of Genesis, we know that as grand and important and great as Abraham was, he treated Melchizedek as his senior. He treated Melchizedek 
as the one that had more rank than he did. And the payment of tithes indicated that, as well as the direction of the blessing. Verse number eight, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, that's the Levitical priesthood, but in the other case, the tithes are received by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Remember, the, the illustration is, there is nothing about Melchizedek's death, there's nothing about his birth, he just is. That's why he's a perfect representation of Jesus. He is not Jesus. I know there are some people that want to try to do, say that, but there's no verbal indication here, no grammatical indication in this text or back in Genesis that Melchizedek is Jesus. He is like Jesus. And so the, the tithes in Abraham's day, paid by him, were received by Melchizedek, who is represented as just always being. Verse number nine. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So I already went through Levi's family tree. It's Levi to Jacob to Isaac to Abraham. And so the way that this Jewish author is thinking is, you know, honestly, when Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham, he was also receiving tithes from Isaac. He was receiving tithes from Jacob. He was receiving tithes from Levi. He was receiving tithes from the Levitical priesthood that came from Levi because they were all tied in with Abraham, their ancestor. That's Jewish thinking. Now, verse 11, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, that is, if we had gotten where we needed to be under the Mosaic law, under the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron, or the Levitical priest. Um, this is tied in with the idea that in the uh, psalm that comes after the time of the Levitical priesthood, God says, I declare that you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews is arguing, if the Levitical priesthood was sufficient, then why would David, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, start talking about someone being needed from the order of Melchizedek? And the answer is, because the Aaronic priesthood is not sufficient to the cause. Verse number 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, that is, from the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. 
And we can talk about this being from the Mosaic Law to the Law of the Promise, the Law of Grace, the Law of Love, the Law of Jesus becoming the atoning sacrifice for sin. That change comes uh, with the change from the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Priests come from the family of Levi, the descendants of Levi. Uh, The Judah tribe was specifically tagged as the royal tribe. Now, it is intriguing to me that Jesus does have family connections into the Levitical tribe. We know that uh, his mother's relative was Elizabeth, and she was married to Zechariah, and they were from the Levitical tribe. Uh, Zechariah was of a high priestly family even. Uh, We know that Jesus' cousin came from the Levitical line because he was the son of of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, We further know that Jesus' cousins, James and John, were from the Levitical tribe. Uh, This is early church history, talks about them being of priestly connection. Apparently, Zechariah, excuse me, uh, Zebedee must have been one of the priests uh, that served in the temple two weeks out of every year. And the rest of the time, he was apparently a fisherman or had a fishing business. Uh, So, uh, Mary's sister, Salome, who was of the Judah tribe, married into the Levitical tribe when she married uh, Zebedee. So Jesus does have connections to the Levitical tribe, but he is not technically of it. Uh, Now, I understand that modern-day Jewish people uh, determine their Jewishness by their mother. It's matriarchal. That was not the case in the second and first temple periods. Uh, During that time period, it was always by the father's extraction. And so if your father was from the tribe of Judah, you were called a member of the Judah tribe. If he was from the Levitical tribe, then you were a Levite. Wouldn't matter about your mother. Uh, It was, who's your father? Uh, So that's what the writer of Hebrews is making clear here. Uh, If it were just up to physical things, Jesus would have no connection to the priestly office because he was not of the Levitical tribe. Now, verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement, that is, being from the line of Levi, and even more specifically, from the line of Aaron, 
Uh, he's become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. So Jesus is counted as a priest, not because of his connection to Levi, but because of his his connection to Melchizedek. Uh, And so we get another quote here, verse 17, for it is witnessed of him, quote, and this is from our Psalm 110 verse 4 passage, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is a high priest because he has no beginning, no end. He is the absolute representation of what is symbolized in the Melchizedek story. Uh, No beginning, no end. Just always a priest. Verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law has made nothing perfect. Now, if you are not aware... Uh, The writer of Hebrews is going to reinforce something that Paul has already been teaching about. Now, I I don't think Hebrews is written by Paul, but I do believe it's written by someone who knows Paul's teaching and writing very well. And so Paul has been constantly teaching, as the apostle of the Gentiles, that no one is saved by the Mosaic law, because the Mosaic law was never intended as a mechanism of salvation. It was intended to keep the Jewish people moving forward through history and not self-destructing under sin. Uh, Galatians talks about the idea that the law was like a pedagogos, a uh, slave intended to lead the, the child of the house to the master. And once he'd communicated uh, that job, once he'd taken uh, the heir of the household to the teacher, his job was done. And he was retired, if you will. So the Mosaic Law's only purpose was to get the Jewish people from point A to point B, that being from Mount Sinai to Mount Golgotha. From the giving of the Mosaic Code up to the giving of the atoning sacrifice for sin. And so, the author here says, on the one hand, the former commandment, meaning the Mosaic Law, has been set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. It had a purpose, so it was useful in that sense, but it couldn't accomplish salvation in the sense that we're talking about right now. For the law made nothing perfect. It brought none of us up into a perfectly right relationship with God the Father. But rather, on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So Jesus comes on the scene. He is the better hope. He provides the better way. And it is through him that we are drawn near to God. 
and we'll see some of that language later in this book. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath, that is, that he was made high priest. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. So it wasn't by fiat, it wasn't by a declaration that they became priests. Um, It was because they were of that genetic line. In the original design for the Jewish priesthood, it was to pass down from father to son, father to eldest son, father to eldest um, physically perfect son, uh, in the line of Aaron. That was the way it was supposedly work. So it, it didn't have to be declared by some uh, third party, some sort of authoritative third party. It just was. So he says, those who were formerly becoming priests were made such without an oath, but this one, that is Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, and that is God, uh, back to the uh, uh, Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn, that's the divine name, he who is, has sworn and will not change his mind, meaning he's not going back on this. You are a priest forever, and the rest of the line in Psalm 110 is after the order of Melchizedek. And verse 22, here's the application. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So he is the one that puts the better covenant in place because he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, verse 23, the former priests, the Levitical priests, were many, as in lots and lots of them in sequence. They were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So Aaron was not a priest forever because he died. And then he was replaced by his son, Eleazar. Eleazar did not remain a priest forever because he died. He was replaced by his son, Phinehas. Phinehas was not a priest forever because he died. And you can just keep repeating that formula over and over and over again. Verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently, that is Jesus, because he continues forever. So Jesus, while he did die once, came back to life. And God says of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He doesn't need a successor because he will never die again. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, or all the time, those who draw near to God through him. There's that draw near uh, idea again. Uh, so everybody that comes to Jesus, Jesus is able to be their priest forever because he always lives to make intercession for them. 
So the same high priest that serviced all the first-generation Christians back in the first century of the Christian era, that same high priest was servicing the Christians living in the 500s, the same high priest was servicing the people living in the 1,000, the same high priest who is uh, still serving as intercessor uh, during the American Revolution, and the same high priest who was servicing those uh, when I was a baby and those that now I'm all grown up and I have a granddaughter. Same high priest, Jesus, the priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. That's the point. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, so he is set aside for the right things of God, innocent, so he has no sin, unstained, another way of pointing out the fact that he is not sidelined by his own personal issues, separated from sinners, meaning he is distinct in the sense that he was tempted in every way like unto us, but without sin, and exalted above the heavens. Because when he died and rose again, his high priesthood was in the heavenly realms, not here on planet earth. Verse 27, he has no need, like those previous high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now, the high priest, the officiating priest, each and every day in the temple, they had to offer a morning sacrifice, an evening sacrifice on behalf of the Jewish people. They would first offer something for themselves because they had a sin problem. Then they would offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people because they had a sin problem. And this would be repeated day after day after day after day and priesthood after priesthood after priesthood after priesthood. But the writer says Jesus doesn't have to do that because he has no sin that he needs to offer sacrifice for on his behalf. And once he offered himself as a sacrifice, that was it. It was done. No new sacrifices needed. Verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has became or been made perfect forever. So folks, we have Jesus, who is the perfect and permanent high priest for us after the order of Melchizedek.